0: CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike F.M. Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. And Welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop. Last week, you guys made our CFL Playoff Roundtable special, our highest listened to show in the history of this podcast. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to that one. And because it was so well received, we're bringing it back again this week, right here, right now. Another edition of the CFL Playoff Roundtable Round 2 special is here that's what you're listening to right now down to four teams left this weekend we have the division finals and the winner of those two games will go on to play in the gray cup uh, to tee up the matchups we have this weekend we've got the calgary stampeders hosting the edmonton eskimos out west with the uh, toronto argonauts hosting the saskatchewan rough riders out east i got a chance to talk to uh podcasters uh that represent each team each of those four teams Uh, again this week in order to tee up the matchups between them so without further ado let's get into our first interview of the show to kick things off with uh moving out to Calgary uh to talk about the Calgary Stampeders um Calgary dominant regular season again as always kind of flopped a little down the stretch lost their last three games of the season had their fair share of offensive struggles and have had their fair share of critics on it uh so I got a chance to, earlier this week, sat down and had a chat with uh, Ryan Ballantyne of the Horseman Radio podcast, talking about the Calgary Stampeders, what it uh, what the season was like and what it's like heading into this playoff matchup with the Eskimos. So without further ado, here's my interview with Ryan Ballantyne. And now I'm pleased to welcome Ryan Ballantyne of Horseman Radio to the show to talk about the Calgary Stampeders. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, Getting straight into things here, the Calgary Stampeders hosting the Edmonton Eskimos in the West Division Final this year. Before we dive into that, I've always wanted to know what life is like as a Calgary Stampeders fan. Because, you know, you'll have people always joking that it must be boring due to the amount of, you know, it's basically expected every time they go out on the field throughout the regular season to win a game. Obviously, that ridiculously long home winning streak what is life like as a Calgary Stampeder's fan?
1: Well, I can tell you it's it's interesting because, of course, the very the smallest thing goes wrong, and fans here go crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, like we we've, we're mired in a three game losing streak right now, and and people are losing their minds about it because it hasn't happened. Uh, the last two game losing streak was was two thousand and eight or two thousand seven, something like that. It, it just um, it, it's very interesting here that the CFL says the uh, every year, is it June yet? That's the hashtag that they use out on social media. Right. You know, the return of Canadian football. Um, for Stampeders fans, it, the hashtag is, is it November yet?
2: Um, <laughs>
1: because we assume we're making the playoffs, uh, and it's just a matter of figuring out whether or not we're going to win the Grey Cup. The The question for Stamps fans in the entire Huffnagel era, and, and really but for three of the last 30 years has been are the stamps going to win the great cup this year or not. And, and it's, it's not, um, there, there's no real danger of missing the playoffs here, uh, except when the, uh, box guy bought the football team to let his son play quarterback.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost a given every year coming in when we make those preseason predictions that Calgary's going to be in the playoffs, if not, you know, predicting that they'll win the division and finish first in the CFL um, the only time I thought maybe it was kind of in question coming into the season was how that uh, transition from John Huffnagel at head coach to Dave Dickinson coming in as head coach last year was ended up being a seamless transition. You know, Dave Dickinson goes and has an outstanding year in his first year as a head coach. Talk a little bit about how that transition went and why it was so successful
1: well i think the basis of the entire um, time that huffnagel's been in charge here is, has been continuity john huffnagel doesn't fire coaches not one not a single one since he's been here has been fired now there have been a lot of coaches that have left and a lot of coaches that have changed positions inside the organization but but huff has said to us on on our podcast there's no reason to fire a coach if if i've trusted the guy to hire Him. If I've trusted him enough to hire him, I don't need to fire him. And that's what you saw with Dave Dickinson. He came up. He was a quarterback here under Huffnagel as a backup. He transitioned into the coaching role. He slowly gained more responsibility. He slowly took on more of the offense, became the offensive coordinator. He was groomed under Huffnagel. And when we talk to the players on our show, there's absolutely no difference between Huffnagel and Dickinson when it comes to how they run the team. And the fact that Dickinson's been around as a coach for so long meant that the transition was essentially seamless. You weren't bringing in a stranger into the room. You were bringing in a family member um, to take on more of the responsibility. So I think that's why uh, you saw Dave Dickinson start his career with a 15-2-1 season. Uh, He had another excellent season again this year, and it's no surprise, really, because, again, uh, uh, Huffnagel doesn't put guys in, in a position unless he thinks they can succeed, and that's what they've been able to do here.
0: Now, this year's Stampeders team has almost been kind of an opposite of what we're used to seeing from them in recent years, where I've I've felt over the last several years, it's been a really offensively-led football team. This year, it's uh, completely flipped around. The defense has been outstanding. The offense has had its fair share of struggles. Uh, talking about the good first before we get into the bad, what is it? What has made this defense so dominant this year, and uh, what's the major factor in it?
1: Well, I mean, I, the play of Alex Singleton stands out
0: absolutely as the middle
1: linebacker, uh, a ratio-breaking middle linebacker. Um, that that he's everywhere on the field, set a, a record for tackles by a Canadian player this year in the CFL, and he's really the enthusiasm he brings to the field makes a big difference also Devon Claybrooks uh is now in his uh I think his third season as defensive coordinator and he's really come into his own knowing exactly where he wants the players to be there hasn't been a lot of change from this defensive unit from a year ago where they were one of the best in the league and and it seemed like they were winning the games with offense last year um uh they their defense was very good last year, and it's even better this year. Uh, the defensive line, I mean, I don't think uh, – I think every team in the CFL would love to have what the Stamps have at D-end.
2: Oh, um, sure. Cordero
1: Law is thought to be coming back again uh, here, and so you've got five players on the Stamps uh, at D-end that I believe could be starting out on any team in the league when you're looking at at Hughes and Vaunters and Ja'Gara Davis and Cordero Law. Um, and, and these guys are, are stepping in every single week and getting the job done. Um, so I think quarterbacks are on their run for their life, uh, and when that happens and the, and the cornerbacks and the halfbacks that we have are as good as they are, they just shut everybody down. Uh, even when you look at the game, the last game they played, um, they, they lost to Winnipeg, but the Stampeders' defense only allowed nine points.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, that was a game. And to be fair, Bowie by Mitchell not starting, and the weather had a major factor in that game, and it was Week 20. Didn't really end up mattering too much for the Calgary Stampeders in that loss to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You mentioned the, uh, the impact Von Claybrooks has had with this defense this year. Obviously, you know, Montreal is going to be looking for a new head coach in the offseason here. Uh, he's rumored to be one of the candidates for it. What what effect would that be? Would that be how much of a loss would that be to... If he does end up going to head coach Montreal, and do you think he would make that move?
1: I won't say that he won't make the move because I think that that you know anybody's going to make the move if they think it's the right move to make. Fair enough. However, I I do think that Clay Brooks is very happy here and comfortable here in his role as as defensive coordinator. Um, you know, we we talked to him at the beginning of the season, and and he said that he had offers uh, and and had talks to go be a head coach in other places um, and and decided to stay where he was comfortable if you look at devon claybrooks like really his his career uh he he played here he transitioned from a coach here he's got a life here he lives here full time um and there's a there's a, a life here for devon claybrooks that's not uh maybe necessarily available elsewhere so i think um, I'd like to think he'll stay, but of course, anytime that there's, there's an opportunity to be had, one has to seriously consider it. And it depends maybe on the, on the level of power they'll give him in Montreal. I'm not sure that under Kavis is a place
0: where people want to be. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. You know, the other side of the things, Devon Claybrooks rumored, Paul Apolisa out of here in Winnipeg, uh, also rumored to become a head coach option with the Montreal Alouettes. And we've been long saying we don't know if it makes sense for him to go over to, to take that position for much of the same reasons as you talked about with Devon Claybrooks there. Talking about the offensive side of the ball for Calgary, and boy has it had its fair share of critics this year. Uh, us among them, people criticizing the offense as a whole, Bo by Mitchell getting a lot of that particularly. Is it as bad as people have made it out to be this year? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you look at the Stampede,
1: coming into the last week of the season, the Stamps were the highest-scoring team in the league. They were the most efficient per-play offense in the league. Uh, coming into the last week of the year, they were running at almost seven, seven yards per offensive play over the course of the season. Um, what we're not seeing is the air show that we've seen the last couple of years from the Stampeders. But what I've also seen with Dave Dickinson as an offensive coordinator Um, especially this year, is he's done what it takes to win the game. And because the defense has only been allowing 19, 20 points a game, he's not blowing the doors off of teams. Um, And I think that might play well into the Stampeders' hands coming into the playoffs because I think there's a substantial amount of the playbook that the Stampeders haven't even needed to get to yet, Um, which may end up leading to formations or things that you might not see. Also, with the Stampeders' offense this year, when you look at the receiving core, they haven't played the same receivers in the same positions since the middle of July. Right, uh, There's been an injury concern uh, with with every single receiver this year. When you look at Kamar Jordan was off to the hot start, then he got injured. Then you bring back uh, DaVaris Daniels, starts to heat up, then he gets injured. Marquay McDaniel has been a solid presence for this team for the last several seasons he gets injured and misses three or four games. Lamar Durant was doing very well before he was lost for the season. So when you look at the starting, if you actually break down the depth chart of the starting receivers for the Calgary Stampeders throughout the season, I don't think they've played with the same receivers in back-to-back games, at least since July 28th was the last time I saw. Um, And even Mark and Michelle, he gets a hamstring injury the last couple of weeks. So it's, Bo has had to put different receivers and guys that haven't been here for a long time into new spots in every single week. And when you have that kind of lack of cohesion as a unit between the receivers and the quarterback, you're going to miss on your timing throws. You're going to have reads that the the quarterback throws it to where he thought the receiver was going to be. And the receiver runs to the wrong spot. Um, and, And a lot of times that really affects it. Now, all of that together the st- Bo still had a decent season. He, he threw uh, he threw for I think forty six hundred yards, forty seven hundred yards. It's not unreasonable to think that that he had a good year. He just didn't have the thirty five points a game
0: year that he had last year. Oh, and that's a that's a really interesting take uh, on it that you had there with you know not needing to blow the doors wide open so Dave Dickinson doesn't go out and force his offense to do so because the general consensus i think so around the league has, this year has been that oh you know calgary's defense has to go and put that up because the offense is doing isn't doing anything and i actually like that approach that, you know you give to it saying that oh the, the offense doesn't need to do that much because the defense is going out and doing it
1: yeah when you look at how long the Stampeders have trailed in games out before these last 3 weeks which i you know i kind of put down to they didn't need to have their foot on the gas the last couple of weeks. Um, when it came down to it that the only team that could catch them was Winnipeg, and you know you have Winnipeg at the end of the year, do you need to push that hard against Saskatchewan or Edmonton? Not really. You need to stay healthy.
3: Right.
2: And I
1: think that it's very much about managing the season to get to the playoffs and knowing that you had that last week against Winnipeg, where if it came down to a must-win between who was going to get home field in the playoffs – You could have dressed almost everybody for that last game. The Stampeders didn't need to, so they didn't. Um, But I think when you look at the play selection, especially in the second half for the Stampeders this year, there was a lot of short throws. There was a lot of things about managing the clock because they were ahead at halftime. And there's no point in blowing teams out and scoring 40 or 50 points and showing everything, showing all your cards before you get to the playoffs when you absolutely need them.
0: Yeah, and and kind of to sum up all of that that we've been talking about for the last little bit, you know the struggles in Calgary will always be magnified due to the level of success, high level of success they've achieved for year after year. Uh, coming into the playoffs here, obviously that three game losing streak, which is an unknown territory almost in Calgary in the last decade. Um, What is the vibe coming into the playoffs around the city of Calgary this year? And is it different than previous years? And does this losing streak put more pressure on them or take a little bit off of them?
1: Well, I think that the pressure inside the locker room is exactly the same. I don't think that the expectation from anybody pulling on a uniform on Sunday is that they will do anything but win and win the Grey Cup. Um, However, the expectations from the fans, and, and we run a a fan forum, uh, cflhorseman.ca. And and what we see on the forum is a lot of people saying, hey, listen, they haven't been playing well for a long time. It wouldn't surprise me to see them lose. Um, there is a lot less arrogance to Stamps fans than you would normally see at this time of year. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm I'm much more of a, a sunshine and lollipop feel <laughs> to my feet. Um, I, I think nobody's ever going to accuse me of being anything less than optimistic about their chances. Um, and and so I think at the end of the day, I do look at this as a team that has been managing itself to get ready for the playoffs, as opposed to a team that is stumbling down the stretch and in danger of being knocked off. Uh, I don't like the Eskimos' chances this weekend, quite frankly. I think Bo is back, uh, and almost everybody that you want to see back from an injury perspective is going to be on the field this Sunday. It should be a sharp week of practice. The temperature is not going to be that big a factor as we're seeing a a uh, 0-2 kind of kickoff scenario. So I don't expect that to be much of a factor, which should mean that the Stamps run away with this.
0: That that kind of gets into my next question, breaking down the matchup with the Edmonton Eskimos this week. Kind of a two-part question for you. Uh, first of all, would you have rather played Winnipeg or Edmonton for the Calgary Stampeders? And uh, what do you see, uh, how do you break down this matchup? What, what gives Calgary the edge in this one?
1: Well, I think from an injury perspective, I we'd probably rather have played Winnipeg, honestly. When you look at the guys that aren't on the Winnipeg roster this,
0: uh, well, not this week, because of course... No one's on the roster, technically, this no, week.
1: <laughs> there's nobody on the roster, exactly.
0: No one um, on the defense was on the roster last week either. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's okay. You don't need to cover the league's leading receiver. You can
1: just give him a fifteen-yard bubble, and no one will notice.
0: Maybe he'll um, trip.
1: <laughs> but uh, when you, I think when you look at the matchup this week, um, I, I think when you look at Edmonton, I, I think Calgary is better on both sides of the ball when it comes to the offensive and defensive line. And I think, as we know in the playoffs, especially in Canada. The offensive line and defensive line are what win you football games in November. And so as, as good a season as Mike Riley has had, um, I, I think he's definitely going to be on the run uh, a lot this week. Uh, the last time they played, even though the Eskimos won, Mike Riley was was running for his life on almost every play. And, and I think when you look at what Calgary is going to bring defensively, um, they're not going to be sitting in a soft zone on Brandon Zilstra. He's going to be covered. Tommy Campbell's going to be out there. Brandon Smith is going to be out there. Guys that should have been all stars are going to be on that on that field uh, taking on the Eskimo defense. Uh, Tommy Campbell's not allowed a touchdown all season. Not one. There has not been a guy that has caught a touchdown pass against Tommy Campbell this year.
2: Wow. Um,
1: and and so you know, that, that should effectively erase a Darius Bowman from this game entirely. There, there should be, uh, you, you won't see much out of the way of a Darius Bowman. And I think when you look at all the the other guys that they have to cover, um, you know, D Walker and, and Zilstra. I think those are the weapons for the Edmonton Eskimos. And if you want to get into a run game battle,
0: I'll take Jerome Messam over CJ Gable. Very good analysis on that one there. Um, Biggest key for the Stampeders if they're going to win this game on our uh, on our show that came out last night, I talked about it being you know we, putting these offensive struggles so to say to silence come out strong with a quick drive to start the game. Is that the key, or is there another thing for you?
1: No, I, I agree with you. I think a a good long drive is going to be the key, and and I'm not talking you know you can you can have that big hit over the top and come out with a big score early. Um, I think that that may not be the best for the Stampeders. Uh, I think if you come out and you put a six- or seven-minute drive together where you churn clock and you move down and you score a touchdown, it's not even enough to get a field goal. You get out and you score a touchdown, and you shut down the Eskimos on their first one or two possessions and set the tone for the day, I think that that will go a long ways. Um, In in addition, I I think if the defense comes out and plays the way they – they have been then the offense is going to be good enough to get the job done Uh, I think you're right Calgary's offense isn't what it was last year I think it was effective but not elite this year Um, and and I think effective is good enough provided the Stampeders defense plays what they've been playing I mean even if you look it was it was a bad game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers but they only allowed three field goals and one of those drive one of those field goal drives started in Stampeders territory and uh, I think the the Bombers only had two drives over 40 yards um, in that last game so uh, when you look at the last couple of weeks the defense has been getting the job done certainly for the Calgary Stampeders and I, I expect them to continue to do so on
0: Sunday and finally uh, do you have a great cup pick for us obviously we know you have Calgary going off to the Grey cup who are they playing against and who do you have coming out on top
1: well, I mean, I I, I predict at, on our show every single year the Stampeders to go eighteen and zero and win the Great Cup. <laughs> uh, I do that with with uh, uh, ever increasing accuracy in the last couple seasons. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, here's the thing: I think both I think both teams in the Eastern semifinal have a very good uh, chance of, of representing the East, whether it be. Uh, Saskatchewan or Toronto I think the atmosphere of an All-West Grey Cup uh, Would be very interesting in Ottawa As we know the Green Horde travels well right. um, And and so That would be intriguing uh, Personally um, from, a, from my standpoint I've been to the last I've been to every Stampeders appearance in a Grey Cup Since 2008 um, And uh, I'm hoping to add To that next week uh, I'll be in Ottawa, I just need the team to join me Um, but I'd I'd love the idea of Toronto to get in because I believe that with mostly Ottawa season ticket holders holding the tickets, um, that Ottawa may actually root for Calgary, which would be the first time (laughs) I've been to a game where Calgary got the home support in the Grey Cup. Uh, That's interesting. Every every time I've gone, Calgary's been the villain, uh, whether it be Montreal, in Montreal, Toronto, in Toronto – uh, they had just beaten BC when they won in BC against Hamilton, so everybody was rooting against Calgary from BC because they, you know, their team had just lost. So I think Calgary might actually get the the bipartisan support um, from an Ottawa crowd. So I'd be very curious to see Toronto in that game. Plus, I'd also like to get revenge from the 100th Grey Cup, uh, beating Saskatchewan in a Grey Cup is no great feat. Everybody does it. Uh, they've lost 27 <laughs> times in the Grey Cup. Uh, so it's not a big deal to beat them there. Um, so I think uh, I'd, much, I'd much rather take it back from Toronto, as uh, Toronto is the only other team to win five Grey Cups since 1990. Um, so uh, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to knock them off and take it
0: from them. And how nice I imagine that would be to uh, be able to go into Ottawa and win a Grey Cup there after what happened in last year's Grey Cup. Uh, just to close things out here, uh, where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media? Uh, if
1: you're looking for me, I'm at podcaster, Ryan, uh, I'm typically on, on Twitter. Although I do, I believe have one photo up on Instagram. <laughs> uh, you can look for the, uh, the horseman account, uh, that's CFL underscore horseman, or you can go to our website CFLHorseman.ca. There's a, a, a fan forum there. Our podcast is hosted there as well as on iTunes, Google play and all that search for horseman radio. Um, but pretty much, uh, Uh, the the place we want you to find us is is at the tailgate party Uh, so if uh, you're in town for a game ever uh, make sure you hit us up on twitter and come down to the tailgate party and you'll get uh, all well fed
0: before the stampeders feed on your team sounds wonderful one day looking forward to hopefully making it down there and we'll come uh, meet you at the tailgate
1: that would be amazing
0: Uh, i want to thank you for taking the time to join me here on the podcast making time out of your busy day Uh, to talk Calgary Stampeders with me. Uh, Best of luck to the Stampeders this weekend and the rest of the playoffs, and I hope you enjoy the playoffs.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. And that was Ryan Ballantyne, or Podcaster Ryan, as they call him, of Horseman Radio, joining me to talk about the Calgary Stampeders. Such a great interview with Ryan. I want to thank him for taking the time to speak about the Calgary Stampeders with me. I really uh, I really liked his take and kind of his defense of Calgary's offense this year. You know, they've gotten a lot of criticism. Um, and like I said, a lot of that is based on the high level of success they've achieved over the last several years, that you expect that from them every year. But I like how he pointed out that they've still been spectacular and perhaps they, you know, haven't needed to produce at a high level, which is the reason behind why they haven't. Uh, due to the strong play of that defense. Switching gears here, moving over to their rivals uh, from the same province, the Edmonton Eskimos uh, come into Calgary this weekend to face the Stampeders in the West Division final. Fresh off of a 39-32 victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at Investors Group Field this past Sunday. Uh, Big win by the Eskimos. They come into Investors Group Field play pretty even first half with the Bombers, and then just open things up in the second half. Wide open receivers. Offense just takes takes it to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and now the Eskimos are off to the West Division final. To talk about the Edmonton Eskimos this week, we reached out to our friends over at the Eskimo Empire podcast, and the plan was originally to get a chance to speak to Superfan Mike of the Eskimo Empire podcast this week. However, due to him being under the weather, he wasn't able to make it work. Um, so Andrew, who you heard on the, pod, on the round table last week, uh, was willing to fill in. And, uh, so he makes his return to the podcast this week, uh, to break down the win over the Bombers and the matchup coming up with Calgary. So without further ado, once again, for the second straight week, here's Andrew of the Eskimo Empire podcast. Well, folks, last week he set the, uh, podcast record for most appearances on this podcast. And now we just can't keep him away from the show the Empire Strikes Back. Andrew of the Eskimo Empire podcast is back on the show again this week. Welcome back, Andrew.
2: Thanks for having me again, man. I uh, I really appreciate it. And hey, you know, it's uh, sometimes you gotta you know step up for your team members when they're not feeling so hot. So uh, we'll we'll make sure the trifecta happens soon, though.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know. Um, <laughs> obviously we originally had planned superfan mike of the eskimo empire podcast to join me on the show here today uh feeling under the weather andrew was kind enough to step up and uh fill in for him so uh thank you so much
2: for doing that yeah no worries man no worries you know i love coming on and chatting with you
0: oh for sure uh you know fourth time now second straight week we're uh we're getting the paperwork ready for a full-time position for you at this point
2: (laughs) well if if all i have to do is sit on the other end of the phone and chat eskimos this is this this deal is working pretty good for me i think uh, i think i I think i'm good all right we'll get that finalized (laughs) all right perfect i'll i'll wait for it in the mail yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: so getting into talking about, we're obviously not gonna ask the exact same questions I did last week because <laughs> well, you can just go back and listen to that one. Um, the Edmonton Eskimos beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this Sunday at Investors Group Field to move on to the West Division final. Uh, while I'm still sitting here and Mike as well, uh, waiting to see the first Bombers championship in our lifetime, the Bombers defense is still out trying to find Brandon Zilstra. <laughs> uh, the Cal- the Edmonton Eskimos are getting ready to face the Calgary Stampeders for the West Division final.
2: That they are and uh, it, it was, you know, that, that first half I kind of thought that was how the whole game was going to go uh, and I think that's what we talked about last week was that it was just going to be that back and forth battle um, I was truly, truly shocked that um, they didn't use Andrew Harris more. Uh, I figured that he was really dominating when he had a chance to have the ball and, and I thought they were just going to kind of run down our throat and uh, that, you know, the, the funny thing to me was, or I guess, ironic thing to me was that it was the, you know, the fake punt that, that Corey Watson just makes a great play on that, uh, that changes it in our favor. And, and next thing you know, we're, uh, we're we're getting up some points. And, and uh, that was kind of a, it was kind of nice at least. I, I did, wasn't to the point of, you know, like needing extra blood pressure pills in the fourth quarter. So that was nice. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, you make an excellent point about Andrew Harris not being used a lot. Because he was tearing up yardage when he was used. And that's almost been the case kind of the final several weeks when the Bombers had their subpar play down the stretch. was just not using Andrew Harris. Especially knowing that he torches the Eskimos normally when he plays them, um, absolutely. That first half, I thought it was—I thought it was about as even of a half of football as we could get. You're looking at stats line, everything's basically even. Time of possession is even. The score is tied ten ten going into halftime. Couldn't ask for a really much better of a half of football.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and I—I I 100% agree. Of course, I—I I did appreciate the second half myself, but <laughs> I know that I think that. You know, and it was those, it was the halftime adjustments. And I think it was very interesting how um, the halftime adjustments, uh, they kind of went opposite. I figured in Edmonton, you know, they would be like, okay, we've got to, you know, find that soft spot, and and they did do that. But Edmonton really went to that running game with CJ Gable, and I kind of figured that would be this the same pattern happening with the Bombers, and and uh, you know, they were they they did try. I mean, they used him a little, but not nearly enough. And it's, it was just an interesting game to kind of watch that play out in the second half. But uh, I mean, I, I I we we don't have to continue to talk about. it. I don't think that's really fair to you, but I do <laughs> think that. Uh, uh, I mean, I was happy to obviously with the result.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt, and uh, you know the initial bitterness is over um, oh, from the loss. <laughs> like I like I said, it, it doesn't take too long when you when you saw the result coming because, like I said, last week Mike Riley's either going to throw five interceptions or he's going to throw for 500 yards. It was definitely a lot closer to 500 yards with an incredible second half performance. Um, I thought the bombers were really lucky to come out of that first half tied 10-10. Because coming into this game, Eskimos are the hot team. I thought they played a little sloppy in the first half. You saw a couple drop balls there. Uh, and yeah,
2: four actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Lots four of push-ups, push-ups. right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, the push-up count got up to four. That's pretty uh, pretty bad half of football.
0: <laughs> so I thought it was you know a very even game. But then, like you said, halftime adjustments. The Eskimos just took it to the Bombers in the second half. Um, wide open plays to Brandon Zilstra, Darius Bowman. Um, this was kind of what we expected to see from the Eskimos going up against the Bombers' defense, and I thought the Eskimos had a great game plan for stopping the Bombers this week.
2: Yeah, I thought they, I thought they did uh, pretty well in that. I think that, that I still think that they, you know, are picking on Johnny Adams a bit, and why not? I mean, you, you do tend to complete balls that way, but. I think the biggest thing in here was, the, and I think none of us imagined this to happen, but Edmonton winning the turnover battle was really the, the story of the game. And in this particular case, something that the Eskimos have just gotten better at, because at the beginning of the season they were not good at, was capitalizing on those turnovers. And they did a really good job of that on Sunday, and I think that was the difference in the game.
0: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. That's been the bread and butter for the Bombers all year long is force the turnovers and you win, right? And uh, the Eskimos did a great job. Mike Riley was accurate as always, spread the ball around. I mean, it's not hard to be accurate when no one's covering your receivers, but... <laughs>
4: <laughs> it,
2: it, it helps, I've heard, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, really spread the ball well around well, got C.J. Gable going in that offense in the second half defensively, I thought they played a great game. I I, I was pleasantly surprised by the special teams game of the Edmonton Eskimos because I I feel like the return game is one of those areas where they were lacking for quite a bit in the regular season. Uh, And then now they have Jamil Smith in there. I thought he played a great
2: game. I would agree, yeah, wholeheartedly. And, of course, he had uh, at least one, I think there might have even been two, that were called back on, on silly penalties. But I do think that he has changed that dynamic. Uh, needed a little bit of time to get into it but you're you're bang on and saying at the beginning of the season well actually through majority of the season that return game has been non-existent and so to see in these past three games having some semblance of a return game and we've said this all year if you give this offense a shorter field they're gonna put points on the board And instead of, you know, always starting in the shadows of our goalposts, when we're starting, you know, on our own 40, even if we're starting on the bomber side, which we did get a couple of times this uh, this game that, you know, just significantly improved the ability of the offense to operate. And so I think that was uh, definitely a huge part of the game. And and I'm, I'm glad that Jamil Smith is finding that success here. Now we get
0: down to late in the game. At one point, it's a twenty-three nothing, or a twenty-three point lead for the Eskimos, thirty-nine to sixteen. The Bombers start rallying late. They get that one touchdown. They get the drive going shortly after, and with about five minutes left on the clock, they're getting close to making it. Uh, you know, a seven-point game there. What was there a bit of nervousness out of the city of Edmonton as you know the late here, or was it just a matter of uh, garbage-time football?
2: Oh, you know what. Um... No, I think there was a little bit of nervousness because we all remember the Winnipeg-Montreal game. Right. And it was funny. I was actually sitting and watching the game with my mom, and she was like, oh, well, they're up by that. That They won the game. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. This is the CFL. You know, and the Bombers this year have been kind of the epitome of no lead is safe. So it did seem, though, in that last two minutes that the Eskimos were playing to not get injured. And... And I think they felt comfortable enough to say, OK, we can give them one. And uh, I mean, the, the first one, I think Bombers totally earned. I think the second one was a little more. We're just going to play off. We're not really too worried about it. Just run the clock down. Right. And at that, uh, point, at that yeah.
0: point, with like 20 seconds left on the clock. Um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I agree with you.
2: Yeah, so it was at that point that I'm like, okay, I'll concede now that we might actually win this. So, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, there's definitely some tense moments because you just, you, I mean, you never know in this game. And right. uh, that's that's not a bad thing. I, that's one of the reasons we love the league.
0: Oh, I know we were at least justifying, even when they didn't uh, capitalize on that second drive there. But then they get the ball back. They start marching with a minute left. They get the ball back down 16 points with, I think, a minute 24. And we're starting to justify... Okay, 13 points in a minute, 35. <laughs> Wait, playoff time, you step it up a little bit. You're trying to find some justification for staying around out in the cold that long. But uh, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you never know in the CFL, and uh, the Eskimos managed to hold on late here, and uh, they go on to face the Calgary Stampeders in the West Division Final.
2: Absolutely, and that is going to be one heck of a game, i got to say, for sure.
0: Getting into that game here, the matchup between these two teams, how do you see this one playing out?
2: Well, um, I guess the first question that I should ask you is, have you already talked to Podcaster Ryan? I have, yes. Okay, so then everyone already knows how the game's going to go, because because Podcaster Ryan, I'm sure, was his very humble self in saying, that the Calgary Stampeders are are going to, you know, they've played Possum for three games, and now they are going to be able to turn the switch on and destroy the Eskimos by a couple of touchdowns. Because that sounds about right. I, I'm sure I'm not far off. Yeah, yeah um, that's exactly what he said. Okay, that's what I figured. Okay, um, I think that this game, uh, I think this is actually going to be a very balanced game. Um, I think that Calgary does have an advantage playing it home there is no doubt about that and uh, we know that that defense especially having an extra week of rest is going to be very very difficult to play against now one of the things that the Eskimos have going that they didn't have going uh, you know when they met in that two back-to-back Labor Day games was now the Eskimos have found some of that balance on their offense with CJ Gable Uh, the Eskimos are now going in on a six game winning streak so they are much more confident bunch than when they met uh, way back when and i can i can see that this is a just an amazing battle between a very powerful offense a very powerful defense and two very good offense and defense if you flip that around with calgary and edmonton's defense so i think it's i think it's, uh, it's going to be an amazing battle right down to like i see the eskimos pulling it off by two points it's going to be so so close at the end
0: oh i think we're in for a great game here as well you know it's uh, there's kind of the unknown with the calgary stampeders right now because of how they finished the regular season which was uncharted territory that we've seen in basically the last decade um yes does that change things a little compared to years in the past if you were to go in and play Calgary in the playoffs?
2: Well, I think it I think it changes things a little bit, but I I also know that I mean Calgary knows what got them there. Right. They they know how they got to the first place in the West and, and it's not like you just forget how to play. So Uh, My guess is, is that, you know, they are, you know, they were obviously resting some guys and I I don't want to take anything away from the fact that usually they would still win even while resting. And in this case they didn't. Um, and it's kind of, you know, as, as an Eskimo fan, you know, going through those last 15, 20 years, it's kind of nice to have them have three in a row for once, you know, (laughs) they could have that little bit of an experience. Um, the 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 biggest thing with Calgary though, they are usually an amazing regular season team. Right. And that is consistent. So this being a little bit different, I don't know if that directly affects the playoffs or not. Usually in the West Final at home, they play very well. It's the next week they have a problem with. <laughs> so we'll have to see if having that losing streak is that the spark or are we actually seeing a point where they do have enough of those little nagging injuries that have kind of caught up with them? And now, you know, people are finding ways to exploit that team. And, and I think that's going to be a huge part of next week. But I, I would never count them out just based on a, on a three-game losing skid at the end of the season and games that didn't really have any meaning to them as far as the standings were concerned.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. I think, you know, I think almost general consensus right now, at least from what I've heard, is that the Stampeders are now the underdogs and the Eskimos are almost the favorites coming into this game due to their hot play down the stretch.
2: Yeah, I've heard that too, and I, and I get it. I get where that's coming from. I would almost say that this, even down in, in Vegas, I would say that this is a pick at this point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the Eskimos are favorite, only because again, it's in Calgary and they know how to play that West final. They've done it many, many times. So, um, I don't want to, uh, I I wouldn't want to turn around and say, well, yeah, of course the Eskimos are (laughs) favored because you know, we're so awesome. Uh, that would be very podcast Orion of me. but I'm not going to say that. Uh, what I will say is that I, I, I think the Eskimos have brought their game up enough that I think this is a pick 'em that it really could go either way um, and should hopefully be a very entertaining game for all CFL fans. But I'd be perfectly happy if the Eskimos decided to blow them out. That'd be all right.
0: I I, I kind of had the feeling that was your uh, that was your hope.
2: Yeah, but yeah. it is my. I mean, I I'd, you know again not to bring up painful memories but you know the west final where we beat winnipeg 63 to 7 if that could happen again uh, this weekend I, i'd be very, i'd be all right with it let's just go with that
0: yeah <laughs> difference is you're playing a calgary defense not the winnipeg defense
2: this is true <laughs> this is true yes uh, it, yeah i it won't be that i'm just being facetious yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh biggest key for the eskimos if they're going to win this game against calgary what is it
2: The biggest key is going to be offensive balance, for sure, um, to be able to use CJ Gable and use the passing game effectively uh, without turning the ball over. We're going to have to see the same type of performance that we saw in that second half against Winnipeg last week, where... They they take the holes where they're there and the guys actually catch the ball. That is going to be a huge part of it. But they do need that balance. They need to get C.J. Gable established early so that it can then turn into some play action down the road if need be. Or if he's getting it, just keep handing him the ball. Um, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. I think the second big key for the Eskimos is they're going to have to have a lot of pressure on Bo Levi. I don't think that Bo Levi is 100%. I don't think he's much less than 90, but I don't think he's 100%. And if we can get some pressure in on Bo Levi, I think that could change the fortune of the game a little bit more towards the green and gold way.
0: If you had to give a score prediction
2: for this game, what would you say? Oh, well, when we were talking about it the other day, or last night, I guess, uh, I went with... 28 to 26 for the Eskimos. So uh, I think it's going to be kind of mid-range for scoring. But uh, like I said, it's probably going to come down to a last-minute field goal or something along those lines that's going to make the difference.
0: I think that's what I predicted too. Something like 29-24 or something
2: like that. Oh, okay. Edmonton, okay, So, I Well, know. I like the way we think. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, great cup prediction. You had Edmonton Toronto last week. Has that changed at all or is it still?
2: I'm still going to go with uh, Edmonton Toronto. Um, although, I mean, Saskatchewan played a heck of a game. Uh, I will give them a lot of credit for that. Um, but, I mean, and I, you know, I think this is fairly obvious. I mean, I'm just happy if Chris Jones loses. So um, <laughs> it's almost unfortunate because I'm friends with so many Saskatchewan fans. I don't really want to be, you know, completely anti-Saskatchewan, I'm just more anti-Chris Jones. But um, I do think that, um, I think think Toronto with that week off, I think there is going to be quite a crowd there. I think that they are going to have a, a much more balanced team as compared to what Ottawa played last week. And I think they also learned last week watching that Ottawa game that, you know, they got to get some pressure on Kevin Glenn. They can't be just rushing three. So um, I have a feeling that it'll be, uh, again, another very close game. But I see Toronto pulling that one out in in the last little bit of that game.
0: Um, Just to uh, round things up, uh, where can people find you on social media and where can they find your work yet again?
2: All right. Well, thanks. And thank you again for uh, having me on for a chat. And uh, I always appreciate when you guys uh, reach out to uh, be part of the crew. That's fantastic. And uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at EskEmpirePod. And of course, you can find the show um, on iTunes and Google Play and everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, Best way to kind of link up with all of us is to go to our website, which is eskempire.ca. So on our website there, you can find all of the Twitter handles, both for superfan Mike and for webmistress Kayla, as well as the Esks history and uh, some of my ramblings as well. So that's the best place to catch all of us.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, first of all, congratulations to your Edmonton Eskimos on the win over the Bombers this weekend, disappointing end to the season for the Bombers, but happy for you guys out in Edmonton.
2: Thanks, we appreciate that. We'll 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 have you guys out here next year for the West Final. How about that? Looking forward to it. Uh, no, we
0: want the West Final here.
2: <laughs> well, this, this, this oh, you almost fell for it. I would have been great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Just to round things
0: up here, thanks again for uh, filling in for Superfan Mike uh, last second here to uh, join me on the podcast and talk about the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, best of luck to the Eskimos again this week, and I uh, hope you continue to enjoy the playoffs.
2: Thanks, man. Appreciate it,
0: as always. Wonderful. Thank you. And that was Andrew of the Eskimo Empire podcast joining me on the show here once again to talk about the Edmonton Eskimos. It's always a pleasure, and a huge thank you for to him for uh, for hopping on and filling in at the very last moment there. Uh, to tee up the Eskimos, going into Calgary to play the Stampeders this Sunday. It's bound to be a great matchup between those two teams. We move over to the East Division Final now, where uh, we have the Toronto Argonauts at home. They finished the season with a 9-9 record, and they're hosting a home playoff game here in the East Final uh, at BMO Field, where the Saskatchewan Roughriders will come to town, looking to become the first team in CFL history to cross over and make the Grey Cup. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts coming into this year, there was a mixed level of expectations. A lot of us had very little expectations for them this year, and they certainly surprised us with how well they've played, uh, especially the outstanding performance by quarterback Ricky Ray. I had a chance to speak with Clay Chisholm of the Argos fan cast uh, to talk kind of what his expectations were coming into this year. Uh what he saw from the Argos throughout the season and what that all means coming into this playoff matchup with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Clay Chisholm. And now I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, co host of the Argos Fancast and the Argos Admirals, Clay Chisholm, to the show. Welcome to the show, Clay.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast getting ready for the division finals this week. The Argos had the bye, and now they're getting set to host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which I'm led to believe you also have a connection to, is that correct?
3: Yes, I am actually uh, a Regina native. I grew up about, uh, well, two blocks from the new stadium, three blocks from the the old stadium. But I've been uh, in Ontario since uh, 1991, and uh, I am... Raising one diehard Argos fan and a uh, diehard Riders fan, so so how's the that? Brain...
0: Gonna, so how's that going to go this weekend with uh, with these two teams playing against each other?
3: Well, luckily, you know, I've, it's uh, I've had a few years practice with this, um, <laughs> in, in every game that we played, you know, the my my kids are old enough to understand that you know this is just a game, <laughs> and that they can't take this too seriously and get get on each other too much.
0: And that's how you definitely have to take it. Props to you for being able to manage that whole situation. Yeah. Um, talking about the Toronto Argonauts, what was your expectations for the team coming into this season? Because we hear both Mike and I on the podcast, and I think a lot of people around the league had very low expectations for them coming into this year. We had them at finishing last place in the CFL, and obviously not even close to that it ended up happening.
3: Well, I mean... From seeing them a little bit up close, uh, I had trying it, it's a little bit difficult for that. I, I had you know mixed expectations before we brought in uh, Pop and Tressman. Once I brought in Pop and Tressman, you know my optimism started to to uh, rear, rear its head there. And uh, once I saw them in, in training camp, I was a little more optimistic. I did not pick them to finish first in the east. I, uh, I, I believe I picked them a third, um, you know, and I, you know, quite frankly, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect from the offense. Uh, when I heard Chamberlain signed on, you know, I knew that guy likes to mix things up with the, with players on defense. He likes guys to play multiple positions. And we learned that very quickly in training camp where, you know, he flat out had people playing in almost every single position. And so, you know, being a Saskatchewan fan, I was kind of used to that. But the offensive side, I didn't know what they were going to make of what they had because it, you know, Ricky Ray, not sure whether he was going to be healthy or not uh, because he just hasn't been the last few years. And, you know, I was hoping for a bounce back year from S.J. Green. And, you know, with the loss of Shaw, Spencer, um, you know, know, all these these great wide receivers we had, you know, really didn't know what to expect. Um, but, you know, long story short, I had them third and, uh, you know, my heart was telling me they were going, uh, going all the way, but, you know, my head was, uh, was a little bit, uh, in the opposition there.
0: You know, uh, maybe a, getting into a little bit, taking a step back here, it, it was a lot up in the air. I agree with you because around the end of last season is when they really let go half their receiving core that they had been growing. Over the last several years, I believe that was last year, correct? Where Vidal Hazelton, Tory Gurley, and Kevin Elliott all surprisingly let go, um, and then you get into the off season, the unknowns. You have you start free agency with not an actual general manager, uh, and then all of a sudden you have these major additions: Jim Pop, Mark Tressman. You go out and get S.J. Green for little more than a bag that footballs go in um and, and you put, bring all these pieces into Toronto in the offseason what impact of all of these moves had on the team this year
3: well i mean starting with the 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 pop and tressman thing um you know a lot of people were clamoring right at the end of last season say go get these guys go get these guys now well after seeing them at the uh, the Argos town hall they had at the right before training camp uh they basically Flat out said that if they were to come after them right after the end of the season, they wouldn't have had them. The only time they were going to get these guys was when they actually got them. Tressman was dealing with uh, some health issues with his family, and uh, and Pop was uh, you know had other things going on, and you know he was in the mix before Tressman, but you know it was just one of those things that it just happened at the right time to get these two guys on board. And from all I can see, is these are the two guys they wanted, and these are really the only two guys they went after. Now with the receiving core, you know, I was I was it was completely up in the air. You know, we didn't know what to expect. We saw little bits from uh, from a few of the guys last year, but it was, you know, looking at it as a whole, you're kind of looking at, okay, I've seen flashes of guys, but I've seen a lot of that in this league, where you see flashes and you think these are going to be the next guys, and then the next three games you don't see them, they don't do anything, and then they're gone. Right. So it was, you know, everything was up in the air. But I think bringing in Tressman and the way he ran the he ran practices, and th- this was something that I had no insider information on until I actually saw it. Tressman actually likes to have his hand in absolutely everything. He's an offensive mind, but he was monitoring the special teams and monitoring the defense and pointing out things to Chamberlain and, and this and that and the other thing. He was really running the team whereas you know last year you know you didn't see that as much. it was the offense did their thing, the defense did their thing. Special teams did their thing and that was it. Right. Whereas Tressman was, Tressman is the puppet master of everything. That's interesting. He, he lets his guys do his stuff, do their stuff, but he's, he's making sure he knows what that defense is doing. He knows what Ivan's doing on special teams, you know, and he's got his guys dialed in on offense where he does spend the majority of his time.
0: Uh, So the Argos go and finish nine and nine on the season. Ricky Ray has an MOP quality season out of him. Uh, They finished first place in the CFL's East division. How would you sum up the regular season for the Toronto Argonauts?
3: Up and down, up and down. And their, their record is indicative of that. You know, they, even their games were up and down. They, They had games where they started off hot and finished slow. They had games where they started off slow and finished hot. It, Everything was up and down. You know, you had a great game. You had, you you had, they strung together a few great games. But in those same great games, you know, as we do on the podcast, we do the good, the bad, and the ugly. We had bad. We had ugly on the Argos almost every game. And you know, it was sometimes it was a lot easier when they won to find out those bad things because they were doing the same bad things over and over and over again. And you know, if they're going to try and stack up against the Rough Riders, they've got to not do those bad things because that explosive offense that the Riders possess is going to take advantage of that.
0: I mentioned Ricky Ray's MOP quality season, and while we certainly know Ricky Ray still had some great play in him, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was really expecting to see this this year. I think that was one of the biggest question marks for the Argos this year is what's going to happen if Ray goes down? Um, you know, And we saw that for one game with Cody Fichardo and Jeff Matthews in there. But Ray manages to stay healthy all season long and has a great season. What's been the biggest factor in him being at such a high level of play this year?
3: Well, in the beginning of the season, you know, he was getting hit a lot. Right. And you know, that's just like every year we've seen that he gets hit a lot, you know, and that really has all to do with the Argo's not having a sustained run game. They're not having these guys Play the run. They're allowing teams to just go straight pass rush. Now, after Labor Day, they basically said, "Okay, we're going to throw Wilder in there. Um, Brandon's hurt. We're good. We're just going to throw uh, James in there and a little bit more." And eventually, teams had to accept that they can run the ball, and that kept some of those defensive linemen honest, who were hitting Ricky Ray. Who, in, in all honesty, you know the amount of times he gets hit you know, is in direct correlation with how many times he gets injured. Right. You know, he can he can only sustain so much, just like with any human being, can only get hit so many times before something is eventually going to give way. And that just didn't happen in the second half of the season like it has in in seasons past. Because of that running game.
0: Yeah, and that running game, that was something I think I said once James Wilder had that first one or two massive games that really that was the one piece missing for the Argos offense. And it is so valuable to have him back there, not only because he's eating up the yards and he's putting up the points on the board, but definitely taking the pressure off of Ricky Ray.
3: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the one thing that, uh, that, you know, I've watched really closely this season is what the, uh, the running backs have been doing as far as pass protection. And, you You know, Brandon was, he's one of the best in the league at doing that. Unfortunately, when you got guys hauling off, you can only do so much. Right. But James Wilder, you know, we watched a few times where he just blew right by that block. Now, I know Brandon, and, you know, after talking with him, he's been, you know, working with James, and James has been a sponge, and he's actually really improved. So even those releases that he does out into the flat, he's still laying a lick on the guy before he uh, before he, he gets after Ricky Ray which is giving Ricky Ray that extra half second that he needs and that's just something that you know James has improved on his game and then the fact that you know he's pretty much been one of the best players in the league in the second half um, you know and, and like everybody in Argoland we've, we've coined the term um, uh, fan-manse. Um, we've got a fan man's going on with James Wild, I'm, and I know he appreciates everything we do um, or everything that we're, we're loving about him and all the support thrown his way. But, it, you know, he's been one of the better players in the league in the second half of the season, and, and everybody around the league is starting to respect that and having to, to basically respect him as a, as a legitimate threat both out of the backfield, and through the air.
0: Oh, for sure. I'm just looking at the stats here. He finishes fifth in the league in rushing with 872 yards, and that's really only playing half a season uh, with getting regular touches. About 160 yards behind Andrew Harris for, the, uh, for first place in the league. Probably all it may have taken was one more start, and James Wilder, in half a season, is the leading rusher in the CFL. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So I would love to see a full season out of him next year. I'm interested to see if he gets attention down south through the NFL because uh, this this guy is a heck of a football player, and he's shown that for Toronto, and I think he's going to be a big factor going into the playoffs here. Getting into the playoffs matchup here, Saskatchewan Rough Riders coming to town on Sunday. Who would you have preferred as a matchup for Toronto between uh, Saskatchewan and Ottawa?
3: For me, I, I and I said this on my podcast, I I prefer... Preferred Saskatchewan the way they were coming into the playoffs. Um, Saskatchewan, it was they were going hot and cold as well. And when you have a team that's uh, that's got obvious weaknesses versus a team that is very very consistent, I'm going to pick the team that's got a lot more ups and downs oh, to sure. play against versus a team like Ottawa who. You know exactly what they're going to bring on defense. You know exactly what they're going to bring on offense. You know exactly what they're going to do on special teams. Saskatchewan, you don't know what kind of pressure they're going to bring at you. Whether they're going to whether they're going to be three man rush, whether they're going to bring the house, whether they're going to, you know, have guys flying in over there. You don't even know who's going to be playing corner from one play to the <laughs> next. You know, you don't even know who's playing on they've got so many you don't know who's playing playing quarterback. Right. You know, and if you can catch a team who is so, you know, fluid that way, where they, they, you know, they're going based play by play by play, if you can catch a team like that, I think you got a better shot at beating a team like that than you got a beating a team like Ottawa where they're very consistent.
0: So tee up the matchup this weekend with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. How do you see this game playing out between these two teams?
3: Well, I think, uh, you know, if... The one thing that I'm I'm going to be uh, you know harping on on the podcast when we record uh, on Wednesday evening is they have to make the interceptions on the balls that Brandon Bridge throws because it make no bones about it they are going to chase Kevin Glenn from this game Kevin Glenn from the game hmm. Toronto has a pass rush Ottawa does not that's the only reason Kevin Glenn was in there when Kevin Glenn gets the 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 whole Formula for Saskatchewan is if Kevin Glenn can't be can't deal with the rush, then they flip to Brandon Bridge, who can pretty much outrun just about every single human being on on the field, and he can make he's much more accurate when he's on the run as well. So they're gonna chase Kevin Glenn, and then if you if you watch the details last week with Derek Taylor, he did note one of the reasons why Kevin Glenn is still the starter, is that. A lot of the balls that Brandon Bridge throws that are incomplete or the possible interception balls that are dropped are a lot higher than every other quarterback in the league by almost 10%. And the only reason those things are dropped is because that man throws a rocket out of his arm. Very reminiscent of uh, of a ball Matt Dunnigan can throw. Mm. Throws, throws rocks. As opposed to Ricky Ray, who throws pillows, according to (laughs) pinball. Um, But, I mean, that's the only reason a lot of those are dropped. And, and, sorry, uh, Toronto has to start catching those balls. If they catch those, you know, two or three balls that should be interceptions that are almost always dropped, that it's going to be a completely different game.
0: Really quickly here, because I know you have stock in both of the teams playing in this game, like we mentioned before. What's the biggest key? Uh, for either side, if they're going to go out and win this football game,
3: uh, both sides have to get their running backs going early. Toronto with James Wilder, Saskatchewan with Marcus Thigpen. Um Marcus Thickman has come on late in the season, and he is basically doing the exact same things except in a slightly different format than James Wilder is. He's doing it more with speed, James Wilder's got more power. Um, you know, albeit if you put them uh, 40 to 40 they probably be pretty close and probably power to power. I guarantee Marcus Stickpin's got some scary power. But both teams really need to establish that run game and force the other to be honest on defense and respect that run. Now if, you know, if either one can get out to an early lead, then you're then the other team is, you know, almost always going to shut down that run game and go straight to the pass in which case, you know, those quarterbacks are going to get hit a lot. Finally. And, oh, sorry. And go that, ahead. and that, and that, and honestly, if, if, uh, you shut down the run game, you know, for both teams, I think that favors Saskatchewan. Right. But I think Toronto's got a better chance at keeping that run game going. Yeah, than Saskatchewan I,
0: does. I definitely agree with you on that one there. Uh, finally here. Uh, so do you have a prediction, uh, kind of score wise for this football game? Who's coming out on top and ultimately a Grey cup prediction.
3: Okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my head prediction okay. because my heart will always go to my team no matter what my head says. Fair enough. Um, and and I am going to be you know going and throwing up after this because I am a diehard rider fan but <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm looking at the week six matchup and the score was 2738 for Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan. And this one with the amount of fans that Toronto's going to be getting in there and you know I'm lo- I was just looking at the the numbers that are left we're looking at maybe right now between 25 to 2500 to 3000 seats left oh wow uh, yeah and so with when we have 14 in 14,000 yards in that stadium it is loud you know and that's going to play a factor um I'm thinking we're looking at another relatively high-scoring game, um, but I think we're going to see s- scores all over the place. Toronto, I'm looking, I- I'm saying they're going to be in the 30s. Saskatchewan, probably in the, uh, the in the 20s. So I'm going to go you know, maybe a, a 35-29 um, for Toronto, but my heart is still saying Saskatchewan no matter what. Um, now in the Grey Cup, I think this is probably the best shot we're going to see of getting a West West Grey Cup, which I have ultimately been not in favor of. I don't ne- never want to see a West West Grey Cup unless Saskatchewan's involved, of course, but then the, that's the only way I'll approve of it. <laughs> but this time, I think we're going to see Edmonton Toronto in the Grey Cup. Um, that's what my head is saying. My heart is saying Saskatchewan, uh, Edmonton in the Grey Cup. And I think the East is going to come out on top, whichever team comes out.
0: That's interesting. I had the, uh, I had the Argos and the Eskimos in the Grey Cup as well, but I do have the Eskimos taking it uh, just based on arguably the hottest team in the CFL right now. Uh, just to wrap things up here, where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media?
3: Well on social media you can find me at all kinds of clay on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, I believe I have a Snapchat, although I have very little idea of how to use it properly. <laughs> um, you can find uh, the Argos Admirals um, at Argos Admirals all over social media. You can find the Argos fancast at Argosadmirals.com as well as on our SoundCloud iTunes and Google Play page. Um, just search up Argos Fancast.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to join me here on the podcast to tee up this game for the Toronto Argonauts and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, It's bound to be an interesting game. We've got a lot of exciting football to go. I hope you enjoy the
3: game and the rest of the playoffs. I will definitely. always will.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time to join me.
3: Thank you. You have a great day.
0: You too. Thanks. And that was Clay Chisholm of the Argos Fancast joining me here on the podcast to talk about the Toronto Argonauts and their matchup with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this Sunday in the East Division Final. Uh, I like to hear what he had to say about the uh, the impact Mark Tressman has had on this team, uh, because this was a pretty good season for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, again, a lot better than we expected coming into the year, uh, and he's had an enormous impact on this team so far. Also love to hear that tickets are selling so well for the East Final at BMO Field, a place where the Argos have struggled to sell tickets, get people in the stands throughout the season. Looks like there's going to be a lot of people there to cheer them on as they face the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and that is awesome news for this playoff game. Moving over to the other side of the ball uh talking about the saskatchewan rough riders they came in they surprised us a little with that win over ottawa in the east division semifinal this past weekend a 31 20 win over the red blacks a real dominant victory by the riders came in played their game well kevin glenn had been shaky throughout the second half of the season but came on strong at the start of the game Uh, and led them to a victory, bringing them off to the East Division Final, where they tried to become the first team in CFL history to cross over and make it to the Grey Cup. To talk about the win over the Ottawa Red Blacks and the matchup to come with the Toronto Argonauts, I had a chance to speak with Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast uh, earlier this week. Uh, So here is my interview with Travis Curra. And now I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast... Host of the Two and Out CFL podcast, Travis Kuro. Welcome to the show, Travis.
4: Well, thanks for having me on, Ryan. I'm I'm looking forward
0: to it. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Glad to have you here. Uh the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh go on and beat Ottawa in Ottawa this past weekend and are moving on to the East Division final to face the Toronto Argonauts. So we wanted to bring you on to talk all about the Saskatchewan, Rough Riders, what you saw last week and uh what we're uh what you're expecting to see this coming Sunday in Toronto. Uh to start off with kind of your initial reaction uh to that win over Ottawa.
4: Oh well, you know what? I was kind of kind of worried here, because when Saskatchewan beat Calgary a few weeks ago, they were firing on all cylinders. They came out with a lot of fire, and they were just go, go, go. And then the game after that, they had Montreal. They won, but Montreal is Montreal. So you, you kind of took it with a grain of salt. And then they lost to Edmonton the last home game of the season. So you're kind of wondering... What's happening here? Is it the last home game? Are they, you know, just kind of just trying to stay healthy going into the playoffs? And you know what? They came out in Ottawa, and it was much like the Calgary game. They were firing on all cylinders. They were able to protect Kevin Glenn, which uh, is is key. If he's going to finish the whole game, they got to keep him on his feet. And he just picked Ottawa apart. And then the run game took over in the second half. I think the best thing we saw from the Riders was balance when they're able to get the run game going and able to keep Kevin Glenn protected this team is at their best and then the offense does what they or the defense does what they do as well and you know what they came together it was a really full team effort against Ottawa on Sunday and it was fun to watch as a Saskatchewan fan anyway <laughs> Well it was
0: fun to watch as a CFL fan in general you know history's never really on the side of a crossover team uh going either out east or out west, I guess, whichever way you look at it. Generally, it's west goes out east. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the Riders, they go and pull this one off. And coming into this game, one of the big keys we talked about here on our podcast was that they really need to get things going offensively early on, especially with, you know, Kevin Glenn's play in the second half of the season and the constant roulette at quarterback. And they did just that, didn't they?
4: Oh, that's exactly what they did. The first drive of the game, they marched right down the field had a touchdown. Of course, Ottawa answered back, but the Rider offense went right back out there and got another touchdown. So the first quarter, they were just totally just firing all cylinders. It's like they could do nothing wrong. The offense looked really, really, really awesome. But I think Toronto's a bit tougher test on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball than Ottawa is. Yeah, you you look at the leash on Kevin Glenn at quarterback, because I would
0: argue coming into this game, it was a very short one. If something goes wrong early in this game, just like that had happened in probably like the last six weeks or so, um, you're, you're probably looking at Brandon Bridge coming in, you know, to save the season kind of thing if things go disastrous early on. Does this performance from Kevin Glenn in this game against Ottawa, does that give him
4: more of a leash coming into the game against Toronto, or is it still the same thing? You know what? I would like to think so. I'm not the biggest fan of switching the quarterbacks back and forth. I know uh, a lot of fans will refer to the old days. The Riders had, you know, the two quarterbacks going in 89. The Eskimos had the two quarterbacks going in the early 80s as well. I'm not a big fan of it. I I like the the guys to get into a rhythm and get going here. But I I think Chris Jones is just going to do with what's worked here. The... Argos have a much better front seven than the Red Blacks. You have Victor Butler, you have Sean Lemon, you have Bear Woods, Cleon Lang, all these guys. And if they're going to be able to get to Kevin Glenn and, you know, get a few sacks in and force some bad throws, I think they're going to throw in Brandon Bridge again. He is a bit more mobile and he can you know, improvise a little bit better than Kevin Glenn, but they're going to really need to focus on protecting him. And if they can do it against that Toronto front seven, they have a good shot in the game. But you know what? I don't think that leash is going to be any longer just because of the performance from Glenn last week. I think he deserves it personally, but if Toronto's able to get to him, I think Jones has proven he's going to make that switch to bridge very quickly. Right. And if anyone's, you know, Going to take a risk in the playoffs, well,
0: you can argue it's Mike O'Shea, and that doesn't turn out very well when he does that. But you could also argue it's Chris Jones, right? He's a guy who's willing to take a risk in order to get a lead in a football game.
4: And you know what? He has never stopped trying to improve this team. You know, when Cameron Marshall went down on Labor Day, he could have very well have just said, let's run with Keenan LaFrance and Greg Morris at running back, but no, he went out and he got Trent Richardson, Richardson got banged up, and he went out and got Marcus Figpen, and look how it turned out, it worked amazing last week he did have a touchdown the last week of the season against Edmonton as well so he's never stopped trying to, you know, impress this or improve the team, no matter you know, some of the track records these guys have, LeFrance had that big game in the playoffs against Ottawa last week, and I think he's proven he's a you know he's a pretty good Canadian running back, but if you can get somebody better, Jones will make it happen. Even if we're this late in the season. <laughs> and you know I was going to ask about that—the addition of Marcus Thigpen really
0: late in the season, and and a great performance here. That seventy-five-yard touchdown run was really the dagger that kind of put things away. I felt for Saskatchewan in this game. How much of this is fresh legs for Marcus Thigpen, being out of football for what now two years, I believe? Other guys, you know, on both sides of the ball have been you know, battling for 20 weeks coming into this. And then you have Thigpen who's who's been resting,
4: you know. That might be exactly what it is. Because I think Jones said, you know what, he's going to start because he's the healthiest guy. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> else is beat up. They went through the grind of training camp. They did all that 20 weeks of the season. Thigpen comes in. He's fresh. You know, I thought maybe they were just going to bring him in. Uh, To do returns, but the Riders, I think one of the biggest things this season is they have found a return game with Christian Jones. And if you're able to keep him on the field and Thigpen get him in space on offense, he's proven he's fresh with that 75-yard run. I mean, freshness is a big thing in the playoffs because – Just about everybody's playing with, you know, a nagging injury at this point in the season. And if he's healthy, he's good to go. And it is a big factor for the Rough Rider offense.
0: Right, for sure. Talk a bit about the defense in Saskatchewan, because I feel like that's that's a a very special unit out there in a good way for the Riders. You know, there's something special about this defense forcing turnovers the way they have been this season. What is it that makes them tick so well?
4: Well, and you know what? The, the Rider defense, at times, they're really getting to the quarterback. And when once they get to the quarterback, the defense really has a lot of success. They did it earlier this season. The game when they blew out BC, the game when they blew out Edmonton, it was because they were getting pressure on the quarterback. But a lot of times, Chris Jones, he will just rush three defenders And you know what? They will cover with the best of the receivers. So that secondary has really come together this season. Last year, they were making so much changes week to week. I think it was really hard for that team to gel as a unit. But Mwamba has been the anchor of this defense in the middle. And Ed Gainey he had the four interception game. He's picking guys off left and right, and Willie Jefferson, even though they're only rushing, you know, three guys on the defensive line, he's making noise in the back, you know, I've seen him, you know, blow three blocks, you know, in in one play, he is amazing to watch, and he he makes the quarterbacks really nervous, so the cover guys on this team, uh, the depth that they've actually come up with it's really amazing i think what jones has been able to do in one season especially with the secondary i don't know if you remember the beginning of last year it (laughs) this team was given up a lot through the air and i think the addition of eli buka who was with the university of calgary he just got cut um uh, from arizona he's come up he's canadian he's provided some depth But I really think, I don't know if enough people are giving Javon Johnson credit. He was cut at the beginning of the year from Montreal, comes in, and he has had also a dynamite year on the back end. So I think the coverage on this team uh, is, it's a complete 180 from what we've seen at the beginning of the year, and it's full of playmakers and full of athletes, and they are a fun unit to watch once once they're going. Oh, and I'd fully
0: agree with you. I think Javon Johnson is definitely up there as one of the most underrated players in the CFL. Loved him in his time here in Winnipeg and loved just watching him play out on the field. If I could probably sum up the Riders' defense in the best way, it's a premium version of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' defense. Both of them force the turnovers. The Riders have the added benefit of uh, they don't give up a million yards a game.
4: Yeah, you know, (laughs) because I mean, TJ Heath and Fogg and uh, Randall, those guys, they're great on paper. They get a lot of turnovers. But you know what, at times, there just seems to be, you know, those coverage busts happening. And that's just not happening in Regina right now.
0: What, what is it that Chris Jones has done so well to turn this team around? Because we look at, it was a very quick rebuild for the Riders, and it looked like it was one that was going to take a long time, just based on he comes in and basically cleans out the entire house, releases, you know, guys like Weston Dressler, John Chick, favorites there in Saskatchewan, along with basically half the team. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're one win away from being the first team in CFL history to cross over and
4: go to the Grey Cup. Well, he's really put in uh, an emphasis of getting some good Canadian talent. And we've seen that on the defensive line with Makana Henry, with Eddie Steele. But he's almost rebuilt this offensive line. There was a time when the depth was horrible there. But basically, you know, Derek Dennis, who was the most outstanding offensive line in last season, he has had some back issues, but there was a point where Den- Dennis was just sitting on the sideline, and they really didn't need him. So Brennan Labatt goes down against Edmonton. In comes Derek Dennis to play left guard, and they have not missed a beat. And you know what? What's really big about Chris Jones, it seems like he lets the guys have fun. You know, when, For sure, yeah. you, look, when you look at him, you're like, eh, that guy, he just looks like a grumpy guy. <laughs> but he's been able to... Keep De'Ron Carter, which I think a lot of people coming into the season, they probably will still say it, is a bad teammate. Uh, he, he takes terrible penalties. He does this. He does that. Well, he, he lets De'Ron Carter play DB. He's been returning punts, uh, returning missed field goals, been doing all of that on the offense as well. He he finds a way, I think, to rein guys in with these big, massive personalities. And I think he did the same thing in Edmonton with Odell Willis. Uh, He had the reputation, I think, after Winnipeg and Saskatchewan as being a bad teammate as well. But Jones finds a way to somehow get these guys to gel and really want to play for him and really have fun because at the end of the day football should be fun if you're not having fun you probably shouldn't be playing it anymore because they're not making that much cash in the cfl so he he, this guy he's really made them gel together as a team and i know there was that controversy a few weeks ago with Deron carter making the tweet (laughs) and all that but you know what they really seem like a team they're allowed to go out there and do all the celebrations that they want as long as you know, there's a time and a place for all that, and they get back to business and continue to play. And he's really changed the culture in that in in that city. That winning is uh, fun. We got to win, but we got to have fun at the same time. And it, it's been remarkable because at the beginning of the year, I'll admit, I had my doubts about Chris Jones. It was two and four, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, it's going to be another long one. But I I don't know where it clicked. But it did in August, and they've been a great team since then. Getting into the playoff matchup this week with the Toronto Argonauts, how do you
0: see this game shaping up?
4: I think the big key is that they need to get to Ricky Ray. And if they blitz Ray he's and they don't get to him, he's going to be able to pick them apart. So... They need to get to Ray, and they also need to be able to shut down uh, James Wilder. I think the Riders have struggled here and there to stop the run because they're only rushing three guys. So there's a lot of room for running backs to get through sometimes. So if they can somehow shut down James Wilder and Ricky Ray... uh, (laughs) which is tough to do. I think Ray can hurt you from all angles. So if they can slow it down and maybe, uh, you know, control the ball and the clock with their own offense as well. They need to keep the balance going with their receivers and uh, their running back and fig pen as well. They can't get away from that. And if, if they get to Ray and they hit him, And you know what? I think they have a really good chance this week. It's going to be tough, though. I do think Toronto matches up very well against the Rough Riders. And I got my fingers crossed, but I'm nervous for this one. Uh,
0: If you had to give us a score prediction and an outcome for this one, what would it be?
4: Oh, I I almost, uh, my head kind of says that the Argos are going to win this one um but rider fans will they'll jump on me on twitter and get me to eat crow and all this <laughs> i'm gonna say 27 21 rough riders and finally if you uh if
0: you had to make a gray cup pick great now uh first of all what was it coming into the playoffs and has it changed after round one
4: well, I, I should probably not tell you what my p- prediction was in June. It was <laughs> Hamilton versus BC, <laughs> and you know, I thought Caleros was going to have a great year. Jennings was, but that uh, that <laughs> that did not happen. Nope. I think at the beginning of the playoffs, I I said it's going to be Edmonton Edmonton versus Toronto. And I think that's looking pretty good right now. I, I do think Edmonton's going to win that Western final. And uh, to win two in a row out east is very tough for the Riders. So I might have to stick with that prediction, Edmonton versus Toronto in Ottawa in a couple weeks. Who wins that one? <laughs> <laughs> i putting you on the spot here. Yeah, you know what? I think, uh, I think the Eskimos win yeah. the Grey Cup this year. Yeah. Mike Riley in the playoffs is... He's another animal I think. And we witnessed that this week here in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, you did. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey. <laughs> okay. I expected it, you know, so it, it it's less of a blow when you saw it coming.
4: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I had Eskimos over Argos coming into the playoffs and uh I, I still see that happening, although Saskatchewan impressed me quite a bit in this win over Ottawa, and I could definitely see it uh it, it coming
4: down to the wire. Yeah, if they can play that same game they did against Ottawa with the big plays from both the offense and the defense, I do think uh Ray's not gonna throw badly timed interceptions like Harris did last week, so um that's gonna make the game a little bit closer either way it It is gonna be a close one. It's gonna be within a touchdown, I believe for sure. uh, just to round things
0: up here. uh, where can people find your work and where can they find you on social media?
4: Well, I uh, host the two and out c f l podcast, so if you want to follow that on Twitter at two and out. CFL, That it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on all your uh, podcast platforms. And myself, I'm at Travis underscore Cura on Twitter. Uh, C-U-R-R-A-H is how you spell the last name.
0: Now I just noticed you guys came out with a new logo for the podcast.
4: Yeah, just today. Uh, Brazilian Thai, who I don't know if you heard this story, basically uh, a couple of years ago, I made a bet with him that if the Ottawa Red Blacks won 12 games, he'd get a Brazilian wax. <laughs> 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 Ottawa won uh, their 12th game in the last game of the season. He got the wax, so we can't shed that name. He took over as co-host during the summertime, so had to get that new logo fresh just in time for the Grey Cup. And Yeah, we just put that out today. And. I think it's quite slick, if I do
0: say right. so myself. I, I would agree with that. It looks great. Podcast sounds great. was just listening to your most recent episode earlier today. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me here on the podcast to talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We're in for some exciting football over the next two weeks as it all comes to a close. And uh, best of luck to the Riders uh, this weekend and the rest of the playoffs. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that was Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast joining me here on the show to talk about the Saskatchewan Roughriders, who are off to the East Division Finals to face the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, I I liked what he said about, you know, the quick rebuild there in Saskatchewan, what Chris Jones has done so well to turn this team around in such a short time. Uh, And he has them primed up to, I, I would say, definitely over the last however many years, the best chance of any crossover team to make it over, make it to the Grey Cup and go on to win it all. It's certainly going to be an interesting matchup with the Toronto Argonauts this week for the Saskatchewan Roughriders. That about does it for this edition of the CFL Playoff Roundtable for Round Two. I want to thank all of these guys for taking the time to join me on the podcast uh, to tee up the matchups coming up this weekend. So once again, thank you. So much to Ryan Ballantyne of Horseman Radio, uh, Andrew of the Eskimo Empire podcast, Clay Chisholm of the Argos Fancast, and finally Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast for joining me here on the show today to talk about the the teams they cover um, to get us all set for round two of the CFL playoffs, which comes this weekend, this Sunday, at the end of these two games on Sunday, we will have our two teams which are playing in the Grey Cup next week. As the season comes to a close here, if you haven't already checked it out this week, make sure to check out our uh, division semifinal recap slash uh, division final preview show, which came out Monday night. That's on our SoundCloud and iTunes pages. If you missed last week's roundtable episode, that one, uh, due to space issues, on our SoundCloud feed. Uh, has been pulled down at this point from there, but, uh, you can still go and find it. If you search Mike FM Winnipeg on SoundCloud, there is a podcast, there is a playlist there that has all of our old episodes of this show, including that one on there. And you can check out all the old episodes of the Canadian Football Countdown there, um, Get looking for towards uh, coverage coming into next week as we get set for the Grey Cup. Of course, Mike and I will be back once again on Monday uh, to break down the games that happen this coming Sunday, the division finals, and tee up everything for the Grey Cup to come. And we'll be working on, hopefully trying to get some guests together for another possible roundtable edition of the podcast next week to tee it all up for the Grey Cup. So look forward. Pay attention to our Twitter account at CFC on Mike FM for all the information on that and any information on shows, uh, insight, analysis, all of that can find that on our Twitter account as well. That's it for our CFL Playoff Roundtable special for round two of the CFL Playoffs. It was a lot of fun to produce this one for you guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be back again next week with more uh, CFL coverage, uh, heading into the gray cup. As I just mentioned, um, that's it for this episode. I'm Ryan Coop. This has been the Canadian football countdown, and we will talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.